This Sunday is the last homily in my series, three weeks in a row, homily series entitled Epiphanies, God's Sneaky Revelations. And it started on the Feast of the Epiphany, which means God revealing himself, saying who he is. And we are talking about the sneaky revelations, the unlikely ways that God reveals himself. You know, the ordinary ones are scripture, church tradition, church teaching, the catechism. You can open up, you know, the catechism and hear what God has said through the church about who he is. But what are the other ways that we need to be open to God revealing himself? The first week we talked about the natural, uh, the natural law and nature itself and science, our understanding of the natural world. God reveals himself through that. The second week, we talked about other cultures and even other religions. You know, their doctrines might not be right, but the existence of religiosity, the existence of other religions says something about the human heart, that there's a hole and it's a God-shaped hole. And no matter where you were, when you were, what continent, what language you spoke, what culture you're a part of, there's a yearning in the human heart for the divine. So even these other religions are proof of God's existence. Well, this week, we're going to talk about the third way God reveals himself some, in a way that we don't often think, and that is through beauty. In order to do that, we have to define beauty, which is kind of hard because of its very nature. Beauty is immediately recognized, not really explainable. Have you ever tried to explain beauty to somebody? And that's actually a benefit because while we can't explain it, we experience it. This makes it different than the other transcendentals. A transcendental is an aspect of reality that we experience that in experiencing it, we experience God because God is that thing. So truth is one of them. Goodness is another. Anytime we experience truth, We experience God because, as Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anytime we experience goodness, we're experiencing God. Think about uh, when you encounter someone who's just virtuous, a nice person. You're actually experiencing God because God is goodness itself. Well, the third way is beauty. Anytime we experience something beautiful, we're experiencing God because God is beauty itself. But over the past centuries, the past 500 years or so, we've been on an increasing slide down in society away from the first two transcendentals, truth and goodness. We've almost been trained as a society to reject objective truth and to reject objective goodness. We argue with each other. We scream at each other in comment boxes and Facebook feeds and on news channels. We don't listen to logic. People don't listen to logic. They can argue with each other about truth. When it comes to goodness, people espouse a philosophy called relativism in which goodness is relative, moral goodness. So you can have your truth and your goodness over here, but this is what I think goodness and evil is. It's relative to the human person, that philosophy. And so we've inoculated ourselves against truth and goodness. But beauty is different. There are no syllogisms with beauty. There are no arguments when it comes to beauty. Beauty is less about studying and more about encountering. 
Another way of putting it is that beauty hits you in the face. It steals your breath when you encounter it. It's immediate and few people can deny when they've encountered it. I had a a college professor once and she was a cultural Jew, but a professed atheist. She had all the arguments, right? The, The truth side, all the arguments against God's existence. She had arguments for objective or relative morality. But she always told this story about when she entered St. Peter's Basilica. She's an art professor. So even though she was an atheist, she wanted to see St. Peter's. And she said when she entered the first time, she just broke down crying and she couldn't explain why. She wasn't a very emotional person. She didn't cry very often. She told this whole class of seminarians, she was like, yeah, I don't know why I cried. I said, I do. Because you encountered beauty. And you're still open to beauty, even though you've rejected the truth. And even though you rejected goodness, your, your heart is still open to beauty because you can't argue against it. It's experienced. This should, should change the way we evangelize. So often we evangelize by turning to the truth, turning to words, turning to arguments. I'm going to tell you why you should be pro-life. I'm going to argue God's existence to you. This is why you should go to church. Or I'm going to tell you how to be moral or tell you how to act. Well, people are inoculated against it. We've been trained to reject other people's truth and other people's morality. So our people we're trying to encounter and evangelize are not going to respond to that. But beauty is the last frontier of evangelization. I've seen it. When I taught high school, I taught at at St. Michael for a year. And I I taught in class. And every day, I would give the arguments. I would lay down the truth. And I just saw blank faces. But every year, we would go to the March for Life with 400 kids. And we'd walk into the Basilica. We'd say mass every day. We brought, you know, married couples and religious sisters with us. They, the kids experienced the beauty of these vocations. They experienced the beauty of the church. It wasn't about arguments. It was about encounter. And when they came back, a lot of them said, oh, now I get it. <laughs> it was beauty. See, art is man's attempt at participating in expressing the mind of God, the original creator. If you think about it, art at its best is an imitation of creation. God created the universe and art is our expression of it. It doesn't mean that it has to be realistic always or, or photographic. It just means it needs to express the truth about God's creation, especially about the human person. One of the most depicted subjects in history is the human body, man and woman, because the human person, as Genesis said, is the image of God, particularly the complementarity of masculinity and femininity. The height of Renaissance art is called Christian humanism, and it gave us artists like da Vinci and Michelangelo, who at that point in history were not afraid of the human body. They were not afraid to depict it because they knew it expressed an image of God. Have you ever seen the Sistine Chapel in person? Hopefully, if not, definitely in pictures. You've seen the picture of God the Father with his hand outstretched, Adam, 
his hand outstretched and their fingers almost touching. It's called The Creation of Adam. It was painted by Michelangelo. Well, in 1994, John Paul II ordered a restoration of the Sistine Chapel. And part of it was to remove soot that had been created by candles and other incense in the Sistine Chapel over centuries. But another part of the restoration was to remove fig leaves that were added to the bodies, the naked bodies of the images. And he said this about it. It's important. So we're talking about beauty and how God reveals himself, particularly in the body. It seems that Michelangelo, this is John Paul II, in his own way allowed himself to be guided by the evocative words of the book of Genesis, which as regards the creation of the human being, male and female, reveals the man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. The Sistine Chapel is precisely, John Paul II said, the sanctuary of the theology of the human body. The theology of the body that John Paul II wrote, he wrote a a long treatise over many years, was revolutionary because it flew in the face of what people had thought the Christian relationship to the body was and to sexuality and the complementarity of man and woman. And in general, the Christian ideal at the time was to isolate it, to set it off in a corner. We don't talk about it, especially at church or from the pulpit or in our families. John Paul II thought differently. Instead, masculinity and femininity, and even more, the physical complementarity, the actual body of man and woman, were an icon of God, the Trinity, who is an exchange of love between persons, open to the spiration, the gift of another person, the Holy Spirit. Why marriage and sexuality have been increasingly more confused and more disrespected and more distorted over time, it's not surprising. Satan's strategy is not to create bad things. Angels can't create. (laughs) They can only distort. They can only lift up if they're good angels, lift up the beauty of God's creation, or they can distort the beauty of God's creation. They cannot create bad things. And so the strategy of the evil one is to distort beautiful things. That is what happened to man and woman in marriage. And it takes us to reclaim the icon. See, our response to distortion should not be prudishness or not isolation or repression. It should be redemption. It should be healing. It should be untying the knot. Because masculinity and femininity, as Genesis says, God told us, is an icon We should not abandon it. It takes us following God's commandments and the church's teachings radically. I'll end by St. Paul's own theology of the body in in the second reading we we heard today. She says our bodies are temples. They express God. They tell us the beauty expresses God's very nature. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? But whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Avoid immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
for you have been purchased at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen.